Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez. Outcomes Rocket listeners, welcome back once again to the Outcomes Rocket, the podcast where we chat with today's most inspiring and successful healthcare leaders. Today, I have an outstanding guest. His name is Will Wright. He's an entrepreneur in residence at Economic Development Partnership of Alabama. He has done a fair share of things in healthcare with Wright Strategies, where he was helping companies save money on healthcare, and even as CEO and co-founder of PAC Health. And so what I want to do is just open up the microphone to Will, welcome him on the show, and then just have him fill in any of the gaps that I may have missed. Welcome, brother. Thanks, all. Yeah, I've had a, a varied career, all targeted at, I think, very much the topic of today. So thinking about how to both measure outcomes and then also, you know, improve those outcomes when it comes to healthcare. And I've been spending the last 15 years of my life kind of thrusting at it from various different ways. So excited to be here. That's awesome, man. No, and, and I definitely am excited to have you on as well. So why did you decide to get into the business of healthcare? to begin with? Great question. So if you really want to wind it back. Let's wind it back. (laughs) I started (laughs) getting a, I was thinking about getting a PhD uh, in neuroscience of all things. Oh, wow. And figured out that I wasn't really built for the lab and ended up sort of casting my resume around and landed in a company back in 2004 that was doing something called pay for performance uh, Mm -hmm. programs. So working with health insurance companies to measure the performance of doctors and hospitals using healthcare claims data, and then cutting checks to the ones that were deemed to be higher quality than the others. And just to answer your question specifically, I remember sitting there thinking, I am 24 years old, and they're asking me to measure the quality of a hospital system and really kind of make up metrics, if you want to be honest, and then dish out $100,000 or a million dollar check to the best one. And I saw from that, if this is the state of the art, this is really interesting. It's a big challenge because obviously there's a lot of variation, but this is sort of the wild west. So that's what got me excited about it because mm-hmm. there's still, and, and this is, that was 10, 15 years ago. There's still a lot to be done uh, when it comes to that. Totally agree. So. And so you, you're exploration from, you know, wanting to be in neurosciences led you to a field where you were just kind of like, wait a minute, there's an opportunity to really shape and form what the future of this industry looks like. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's sort of this, uh, this dichotomy, right, in healthcare in particular. So there's a lot of folks who are researching diseases. And we hear about this a lot. You know, we know a lot about what can be done to improve outcomes when it comes to disease, but then the actual implementation of it in the real world lags behind by 20 years or so. You know, in my case, um, my neuroscience career was getting going in in Alzheimer's disease research, right? So we were studying Alzheimer's disease, which of course is now kind of an epidemic current day and age. And yet um, there are some very commonplace sort of activities or processes that you can put in place today that could have a meaningful impact on Alzheimer's disease outcomes that we're just not doing. So, you know, I think from an orientation standpoint, and I love the research and I think it's valuable and vital but from my orientation, it was how do we get these things to actually work in the real world, to actually work in the day-to-day of, of healthcare delivery so that we stop talking about diseases that we know we can treat and start to actually invest our, our limited dollars in, in the next frontier of improving health. No, that's a really great point, Will. And, and so on that topic, what do you feel 
should be a hot topic. Maybe it's just the, the one we're just chatting about now, but on every medical leader's agenda, what should it be? And how are you guys approaching it over there? Yeah. So, I mean, I think what we... What I've seen now from my career working in paper performance programs, doing work at McKinsey, measuring value-based healthcare outcomes, and then with PacHealth. I mean, I think this is something that is sort of commonly understood, but it's really thinking about taking what I call custodial care of mm-hmm. patient populations and you breaking the idea of thinking only about acute episodes, treating people when they're in front of me, and now investing in patient populations for really the entire time that patients might be awake, you know, where they live, work, and play. And I realize that's a difficult transition. It's a very difficult transition. But really, when it comes to healthcare, healthcare is the portion of our economy that is really catching the outcomes of this. So Mm -hmm. when we have poor lifestyles or poor adherence, or just generally speaking, we're willing to pay for the outcomes of disease uh, to healthcare providers, we really need to be thinking about moving our frame of reference to, okay, if we're going to get paid this amount of money for the outcomes of these diseases, we really need to kind of move upstream and think about taking responsibility or custodial care is what I call call it for the entire patient population. Um, yeah, well, that's a really interesting way to phrase it, you know, custodial care, not just a single point, but actually through the continuum of care. And even before that, right, like the lifestyle of the patient or the person before the person becomes a patient. So you're, you're sort of bridging that, Hey, I'm here to take sick care, but you want to actually bridge it to the person before they actually become a patient. Yeah. And I think the reality is, is that you you asked the question of why it should be on the minds of, of healthcare leaders. We're paying a lot of money in our economy to healthcare leaders, really, you know, hospitals, doctors, insurance companies, et cetera. And so if, if we want to continue to maintain that kind of margin of our economic share going towards healthcare. This is really the organization that has to do it. And I know it's a little uncomfortable because it's a shift of reference from taking kind of point of care or sick care approach and moving that to a a much broader scope of uh, responsibility. But we got to do it. Otherwise, we're going to end up being a nation that just can't afford our healthcare system that we have. Yeah. Well, and the other thing too is the, you know, runaway cost of healthcare. And actually what's happening now is it's all deflationary. You know, the reimbursements are going down for (laughs) not only hospitals, but also companies, pharma and med device. So we're in this, this area right now where it's deflationary and the leaders of these providers and and also companies have to start thinking outside of the box, the healthcare hospital box. That's interesting from your perspective. I mean, I think it is deflationary on a sort of individual point basis, but we still yet continue to consume more and more resources within healthcare in general. It's a valid. That's true. But the only way that we continue to grow the share, so to speak, in my mind, in a healthy way or in a high value way is by continuing to expand the scope of, of responsibility. Otherwise, that deflationary pressure will continue. And I don't think we want to be in that position. Yeah, no, it's interesting. You bring up a good point, right? So deflationary and a single point. But if you look at overall, I mean, yeah, our costs continue to rise. The costs continue to rise. And that's without a doubt a problem. So we're focusing on outside of the hospital. What types of examples can you give to the listeners of things that could be done to address this area differently? Yeah, so I mean, what we did with PacHealth is sort of one approach to it. I mean, we were providing what I call broadly digital health coaching, essentially connecting highly empathetic, really just nice folks who are really trained as health coaches, so lay professionals, and using those folks to build relationships 
with patients and engage them in their day-to-day life. I think the buzz terms are, you know, addressing the social determinants of health, so to speak, but all of the non-clinical factors, whether that be uh, barriers to care or simply just holding them accountable to the care that they know they need to um, follow. And then you can get some pretty meaningful outcomes improvements as a result of that. So that's, that was our approach in that way. So using technology to leverage empathy was, was uh, scale empathy was really the, the approach that we were looking at. And then I think the second piece about it is thinking about measuring outcomes in some unique ways. So we were really investing in patient reported outcomes thinking about what is happening in between the ears, so to speak, for patients as a new set of data that can, I think, meaningfully inform how we think about managing patient populations. So we can elaborate on both of those, but I'll pause there. No, that's really good. And from the perspective of healthcare provider, or even uh, an employer, you know, what is it that you could do to provide your employees or really the patients that you're taking care of services like Pack Health was offering? It's a coaching type of concierge support for chronic disease management and also management of, of the things that you're struggling with, simple as diet, to keep you on track. Yep. Well, I think really what, if from a macro perspective, we need to augment the sort of traditional toolkit of doctors and, and nurses to be more than just, hey, I'm going to prescribe a test or I'm going to prescribe a drug and really think about how do we prescribe kind of interventions like health coaching. You know, I think a course of health coaching is something that we should honestly be thinking about as part of the toolkit for your average provider. It's starting to happen also with, uh, with apps, you know, digital health interventions like cognitive behavioral therapy. And if we really kind of thought about it that way, that uses the system of healthcare, the kind of the power of the pen and the prescribing power that, that clinicians have right. to be able to deliver this. Now, of course, the trick there is, um, and we always talk about this, you know, if losing weight was as easy as popping a pill, we'd all do it, right? Yep. Or if quitting smoking was as easy as uh, popping a pill, we'd be a yeah, lot easier. do it. Done. But I think that's really the approach that uh, we as sort of folks who are pushing for this um, should be thinking about. If I could prescribe you a pill, so to speak, that would change your patient behavior, that would be quite powerful. And I think from an employer standpoint, it's something that's a little tricky to deliver, but folks really trust their doctors. So employers being able to give that toolkit or that capability to physicians, I think is one of the best ways to approach this rather than kind of sending it through your traditional e-blast approach or other kind of engagement piece. If we really kind of, just to sum that up, if we really leaned into how people consume healthcare today, i.e. they go to their doctor or their nurse, and we gave those doctors and nurses you know, additional capabilities to change outcomes or change patient behavior, we'd really, I think, be able to move the needle. So to the listeners, right, if you're wrapping your head around, what can I do to take the health of my employees to the next level? What can I do to take the health of my community, right? You're serving communities here to the next level. Let's think about this idea that Will just shared with us, you know, take the power of the pen and how can you prescribe the quote unquote pill of a healthcare coach? that will manage behavior. These are the things, the soft things that really end up being the domino effect that lead to bad outcomes or good outcomes. And so some really great thoughts here, Will. I could tell that you you spend a lot of time thinking about the topic, that you've been immersed in it for quite some time now. And so I uh, really appreciate the thoughtful discourse here. So can you give an example to the listeners of how you guys have uh, created results with some of this thinking? Absolutely. Well, I mean, I think, so Pack Health is a great example. I mean, here's a use case that we saw, which is kind of fun. I don't know if folks uh, 
No, but I'm in Alabama. And if you've seen the movie Talladega Nights. <laughs> great, you know, great movie. Great movie. Um, <laughs> Talladega is an actual, is a place. And there is a town there called Talladega, Alabama. And as you could imagine, it's a wonderful place, wonderful town. They have the Talladega Motor Speedway and do the race every year. I mean, it's a big event, but it's also a rural part of the South I and mean, struggles with a lot of the, the chronic disease outcomes that we all can appreciate. And there are clinicians there though. They're very uh, forward-thinking doctors. These are sort of your traditional primary care docs that work in the town, you know, see their patients in the supermarket. I mean, the kind of medicine that you want to have happen. And one of the things that we did at Pack Health, and I'm just saying this honestly, is we, we went to Talladega and we talked to the doctors and we figured out how they need to have intervention that we were providing work, right? So really being able to engage them in that conversation and then provide them a tool that actually made sense for them. These are the physicians was a little challenging because quite honestly, what we had to figure out was we needed to uh, allow them to fax in enrollment forms. That's right. Faxing in enrollment forms um, because it is the way that they communicate, generally speaking. It's a little anathema to folks who want to just be all digital, you know, download the app, integrate into your eClinical Works or Athena system and yeah. just push a button. But I think working with the systems that exist and pushing them a little bit further is, is one of the key pieces that we need to think about. I think from an employer standpoint, if the employee population is going to see one or two clinicians in particular, I think employers need to think about how do we engage those clinicians in ways that can meaningfully drive these outcomes. I know it introduces complexity because if you think engaging patients to achieve outcomes is hard, you know, engaging doctors to, to achieve outcomes is, a challenge. Is, is also hard. But I think that's the, the way that it's going to be most effective. Anyway, so the Talladega example was quite useful because we drove over there. I, we literally brought sandwiches and sat down at lunch and talked about what was going to be the best way to deliver this service. It ended up being faxes were key, really simple enrollment, and then really simple delivery of the outcomes that we were achieving back to the provider. What that ended up, ended up looking like was we would mail an outcomes report to the patient. And then when the patient was coming back in for their quarterly chronic disease checkup, they brought that outcomes report back in and then they had a meaningful conversation with their clinician. So long of the short, seems really old school, seems really low tech, but it was, in our experience, that uh, strategy that actually worked the best. You know, that's that's really interesting, Will, because you could definitely take that approach and say, all right, you know, what are the current systems in place? How can we help take the first step without creating drastic change, but creating behavioral changes, mm -hmm. not changing any of the infrastructure? Or you could take the other approach of, all right, you know what? There's uh this is not working. Like we just had a, a guest, Yiding. She's a CEO for Tuiage. And she's like, all right, you know what? This radio thing is not working. Let's get first response to send critical information to emergency care physicians and disrupt, right? But in a good way, let's question the status quo. And both ways work. And so there's no right answer. And the way we go about improving healthcare outcomes starts with just making a decision to do it differently. It doesn't necessarily have to mean changing infrastructure. So that's one approach. The other approach is just change what's going to make outcomes better. And, and what Will did, Outcomes Rocket listeners, is he said, okay, I'm not here to uproot a system. I'm here to work within the confines of it and help them improve it. And kudos to you, Will, and your team for doing that and deciding. And so I guess this message is, is for those folks, the entrepreneurs, or even large companies wanting to get into the space. You don't necessarily have to disrupt or uproot 
the logistics of a healthcare system. You could work within the kind finds. And so Will is a great example of somebody that had success doing that and, and created good outcomes by doing that. So I appreciate you sharing that, Will. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing I would say from an example standpoint is um, it takes a fair bit to actually empathize with folks that are actually struggling with some of these healthcare issues. And I say that because um, the average entrepreneur that wants to get into, uh, you know, changing healthcare outcomes, or even, you know, know, the average person running kind of a wellness program at a large employer is typically a pretty healthy person. And one of the things that I think is also important is we should spend more time kind of getting to know the struggles of those folks that are actually dealing with poor healthcare outcomes. We did that a fair bit at Pack Health. It can be uncomfortable because what you end up doing is you have to ask people that you want to talk to to go see their daily lives, you know, how they're actually living and then experience that process. But I think by doing that, it, it also can inform our understanding or our our understanding of the systems that exist and then what we actually need to be able to do to change outcomes. We ended up, you know, when it comes to medication adherence, I think we drove out to visit with someone who um, is a diabetic and and struggling to, and ask him to share with us his approach towards uh, medication adherence. And we were thinking, you know, an app or, uh, you know, maybe some sort of uh, pill case or something like this. And then up being, he's, he keeps all of his drugs in his sock drawer. And every night he puts out a, a napkin where he puts his pills for the next day on that napkin. And to be honest, that's a great solution in many ways, if it's working, I think. So what we needed to say there is great, that's working. And yet, how can we get you to change some other behaviors that may or may not be helping with this? Because unfortunately, this person was still, uh, you know, quite, quite overweight. So we had to think about a hard process of engaging his wife in changing how they were eating. Because, you know, it's one thing to take your insulin on time. Right. Uh, it's another thing if you're taking that insulin and then eating a big chunk of pecan brittle. So that's right. Helping to coach that one patient in, hey, look, it's not your medications that aren't working. It's the fact that your medications are kind of swimming upstream with sort of massive doses of sugar was another example, I think, of how complex this process can be. Well, this is great. And the other thing, and it's it's the blocking and tackling that really helps us win this, this right. fight against poor outcomes and inefficiency and empathize with the patient. This is such a great message to the listeners. We can offer oftentimes be so laser focused on, okay, I got to make sure that the solution is going to be paid for by the payers and the providers are going to want to put it out there. But we miss that third piece, which is the patient. And if it doesn't work for the patient, it ain't going anywhere. (laughs) And so, you know, this is a great thing. You know, you got to make sure you address that trifecta, that patient, payer, and and, and the provider And uh, Will, you've provided some really great examples of how to do that. So some great stories, some great successes. Take us to a time when maybe you had a setback or a failure and what you learned from that and kind of what you could share with the listeners there, the pearls. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Um, Plenty of setbacks. Well, I think first of all, to your point about how complex uh, the healthcare industry is, I think one of the pearls of wisdom for this is it's a fun challenge, but it is certainly something that is complex and challenging. So, so don't give up. I think that's um, one piece. I think one of the things that we should be very careful with, though, when it comes to healthcare is really understanding the fact that there is a very large industry out there of folks that are invested, I suppose, I guess, in the status quo, or not so much the status quo, but in a very complex process of kind of moving the industry forward. I think a lot of people need to, if you're entrepreneurial or trying to be change-minded, keep an an eye on the forest and the trees. And this is sort of a large point, and then I'll illustrate it with an example. You know, I think a couple years ago, pharmaceutical companies were very 
bullish on something called Beyond the Pill programs. Mm-hmm. These are sort of like wraparound coaching, frankly, wraparound services, varieties of them for their pills to help deliver kind of additional value to payers and providers, to their customers, or at least perceived to be delivering additional value to be able to maintain high reimbursements. And so oftentimes this looks like website or in many cases, kind of a health coaching program and tied to, let's say, a prescription. So you'd see this a lot with different diabetes drugs. I think these were kind of a big piece of uh, the puzzle. I mean, uh, Novo Nordisk actually had this really cool booklet that they would provide called mm-hmm. Cornerstones for Care. With Pack Health, we were actually aligning ourselves to be a Beyond the Pill program. And one of the experiences that I had, or at least a setback, was we were in deep, deep conversations with um, one pharmaceutical company about being their kind of preferred vendor for Beyond for the Pill program. program. Yeah. It was great. It was going to be awesome. What ended up happening, though, is we ran right into the economics. And I think, unfortunately, what happened is, you know, and this is just something that we all should understand, is at the end of the day, pharma companies, you know, they might charge a high price, list price, but at the end of the day, what ends up in their sort of pocket through all the different pieces that are cut through is, is far less. And we, we even the leaders of this pharma company, didn't really appreciate that until we got very, very deep into the conversation. And so for me, the experience was, hey, really understand the economics up front. And we could have sort of saved ourselves, all of us, quite honestly, a fair bit of difficulty. Because I think we all recognize that we had a very good solution to the problem. But unfortunately, the ultimate payer for this, in this case being pharma, we just couldn't get the math to work right. And I think that was a lesson learned that I had there was at the end of the day, knowing that that we're all in this at the end of the day, though, someone needs to pay for it is critical. And so being very clear on who that is will help all of us lead and drive change uh, in a much more effective fashion. And in retrospect, how would you have, uh, knowing what you know now, Will, how would you have handled that? Who would you have approached to pay for this? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think we have to be, we have to help ourselves think much more clearly about who is the ultimate owner of the outcome. Sometimes that can be a challenging conversation to have with folks because many people don't understand that they might be the overall owner of these outcomes. So in that case, I mean, I think I would have approached uh, payers much more um, yeah. obviously or much more um, kind of early in the conversation. Mm-hmm. But that creates a whole host of other challenges because in many cases, payers believe that they have built some of these health coaching solutions as well. I think no, that's some of the pieces that I've learned. It's very interesting and very complex. And, you know, oftentimes the outcome could be sort of this hot potato that people are just, hey, not, it's not mine, you take it. And then as the leader trying to influence, you really have to sit down, think through, and really take into consideration the role that each of these stakeholders has and really just understand and determine who that owner is. That's right. That's a, it's a great story, uh, Will. So tell us a little bit more about an exciting project that you're working on today. Yeah, well- You've got I mean, a lot on your plate, I know <laughs> that, but you know, what's one thing that kind of rises to the top? One of the lessons I learned through this whole process is, as painful as it might be, if you can deliver kind of a vertically integrated solution, soup to nuts, that we can drive some pretty significant improvements in outcomes. So I've been, I've been very excited in studying what I think we all broadly understand as value-based primary care and sort of observing a lot of the different models that, that are out there and then thinking about how to take that to the next level. So the project that uh, we're kind of currently working through is how to think about kind of taking the highly accessible models of primary care that might exist in urgent care settings or kind of telemedicine, but integrating those with this idea of custodial care so that suddenly it becomes, instead of a kind of dialing up your teledoc or heading into your urgent care center for the aches and pains that also exist, but also thinking about expanding that to chronic disease management 
as, as well. Cool. You know, we'll see if that actually works. There's a well, lot you know, here and there, but the interesting thing about that, Will, and yeah, you know, I was out for a run like two days ago, and I was running. There's this, this urgent care right by my house, and I run right past it every time. And you know, I started thinking about how just the way that our insurance has come about with higher deductibles, and I'm thinking to myself, how has that impacted the revenue stream? of these urgent cares when customers aren't just walking into the door willy-nilly and saying, yeah, yeah, just treat me. No, people are actually looking at the dollars and cents of their care now because of those high deductible plans. And so the thought for you is maybe there's something there because of these new high deductible plans. And if we can provide some sort of care, custodial care, before they have to go in and spend $200 on an x-ray, maybe there's something there. And so the question is, how do you administrate it? Yeah, I think it gets complex because getting anyone to open their wallet is difficult. But the high deductible care piece, it's complex on many levels. I think it's done a big disservice for preventative care, kind of upstream care, right? Because people will sit on things until yeah. they get really bad and then end up in the urgent care, get the bill afterwards, et cetera, et cetera. But I think you're right. You know, if we can figure out a simple way to get people in the door with a price tag that is predictable and, and, and understandable and really kind of shift the mindset of, you know, hey, I'm going to build a relationship over time with folks, just like services like Netflix have done, we may be able to truly change the outcome. But I also think, frankly, it's a long-term conversation. It's going to take a long time. <laughs> and so we'll have to build that up and really get going in a slow burn. Yeah, no, and you know what? The fact is we've chosen this field and and for all the listeners, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And so let's definitely take it. And if you guys have any ideas for Will, by all means, at the end of the show here coming soon, Will will provide his information and and maybe uh, get a little collaboration here because I think it's a pretty good idea. So, Will, let's pretend you and I are building a medical leadership course, one that basically puts together the ideas on how to be successful in medicine today, the 101 or the ABCs of William Wright. And so you and I are going to write down a quick syllabus. It's going to be a lightning round where I ask you four questions, you give me some quick responses, and then we finish up with a book that you recommend to the listeners. You ready? Yeah. Awesome. So what's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? Changing patient behavior. What is the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? Not thinking about how to pay for a service. How do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change? I think we have to embrace the accelerators of today, technology, globalization, financialization, and just be more and more nimble. Constant learning, I think, is the only way to stay relevant. What is the one area of focus that should drive all else in your organization? Wow. Well, the topic du jour. I think patient outcomes needs to drive fundamentally healthcare organizations from here on out. Love it. And so what would you say the book you recommend to our listeners here on the syllabus? Yeah. So there is a book called Healthier. Okay. It's uh, 50 Thoughts on the Foundations of Population Health. And it's by uh, Dr. Sandro Galia. He's the uh, Dean of the School of Public Health for Boston University. And I've been reading it and it is a really great book. It's also built in such a way that it's consumable in small bite-sized chunks. That's great. Um, and so I'd, I'd, I highly recommend it. There you have it, Outcomes Rocket listeners. So the book is healthier. And so what we'll do is we'll provide a link to this book, all the resources and all the show notes that we've uh, discussed here with Will. Just go to outcomesrocket.com slash Will Wright. That's W-I-L-L. 
W-R-I-G-H-T. And you'll see this podcast episode, so don't worry about writing anything down. If you're driving, don't do that. Just go back and check it out. You'll see it there, all the resources and links. So before we conclude, Will, I just want to say thank you, but also I just want to open up the mic to you one more time so you could share with the listeners a closing thought and the best place where they could get a hold of you. Sure. Well, I think to anyone who's uh, invested in, in driving improved patient outcomes, kudos. I think it's a contingent of folks that has bought into a process that I think will potentially revolutionize uh, humanity. And that's wonderful. So count me as someone who would be on your side and always willing to chat about this. And then for folks who want to reach out to me, I think I'm fairly active on LinkedIn. And so just uh, connecting there would be great. And you can just look for me on LinkedIn, Will Wright. And I'm based in Birmingham, Alabama. So that works. Will, thank you so much. This has been a really great time just chatting with you. Looking forward to seeing uh, how you guys evolve these these awesome projects that you've got going on and uh, looking forward to staying in touch. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, all. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more. 